Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade, Thursday, September 3rd, 2015. We're going to do something we don't, well, yeah, I don't think we've done this at all, really. We're going to be listening to uh, somebody later in the program who is considered to be a bona fide cult leader down in New Zealand. Should be fascinating. I'll explain that in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down and stop and open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy and bizarre things being said out there. We actually take the time to open up our Bible, use sound biblical exegesis, a Christ-centered hermeneutic, because Jesus himself makes it clear that the Bible's about him, not you, and uh, in proper distinction of law and gospel to compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, and uh, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of God's word to see if what it actually what they're saying actually squares with what God's word says. Now, one of the things we do here at Fighting for the Faith is we chronicle different forms of spiritual abuse but primarily focus in on the doctrine. That's generally how you can tell somebody is a false teacher. Now, one of the distinctions you have to make as a Christian is is that Not everybody who teaches false doctrine, I know this is going to sound bizarre, but not everybody who teaches false doctrine is technically a heretic, and not everybody who teaches false doctrine is a cult leader. There are cult leaders, and cult leaders always teach heresy um, and end up denying like fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, which, by the way, is one of the reasons why the late Dr. Walter Martin, at the end of his life, he uh, he he was doing lectures talking about the cult of liberalism yeah it uh he, he was calling it a cult and i think he was right in doing so because liberalism denies core fundamental doctrines of the christian faith but unlike many cults liberalism doesn't have like a central leader it's this nebulous thing that uh, you know kind of seeps into uh, different churches and things like that. So you always have to be diligent against uh, liberalism. But uh, Walter Martin you know, considered it a cult, although it was a fascinating cult in that it didn't have a primary leader and things like that. But many cults do have a primary leader. Uh, you know, you think of Joseph Smith of the Mormon church or, you know, uh, Charles Taze Russell of, uh, of uh, the Jehovah's Witness religion. You know, the, the people like that, that, uh, you know, that really are the ones behind 
what's going on in that cult. And, and they, they go from a cult of personality to being a full-blown cult. And uh, later in the program today, second half of the first hour and then in the uh, second hour, we're going to be taking a look at the teaching of a guy by the name of uh, Robert Tamaki. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but uh, he is a he, you know he's got a church down in uh, New Zealand, and uh, wow, he is uh, uh, quite dangerous. I mean, you know this this is like really what it looks like to you know for a, somebody to be a cult leader. So we'll be taking a look at that. We don't normally cover that here at Fighting for the Faith. Again, it does come up from time to time in some of the things we do, but generally not you know on this level. So it'd be interesting to take a look at that. But uh, let's talk about what we're going to be doing on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update. Um, and listening to the uh, latest episode of Healing Your Soul with uh, Katie Sousa. And see if we can make heads or tails of what it is that she's um, explaining in this um, episode of her television program. Which seems to feature her preaching at some place. So this will, sh- should be interesting. Then we're going to switch gears altogether. We have a money grubbing, money grubbing televangelist update, and this is a weird one, and and I mean that. Um, yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with the fact that uh, the uh, famous pastrix uh, Paula White, who is also a money grubbing televangelist, whom we cover here at Fighting for the Faith from time to time, she recently remarried, and uh, she married, I think, the keyboardist for the uh, rock band Journey, and his name is Jonathan Kane. And Jonathan Cain, who I don't think who's—I don't think he's actually been to seminary, and I don't really think he has any spiritual discernment either. But um, he and his wife uh, Paula White were actually, you know, preaching on these things, and they—he said some wow stuff that, um, yeah, it's um, wow. Yeah, I don't even know how to prepare you for it. Um, All I can say is, is that. That may be a segment that little ears, you probably don't want little ears listening to. I'm just warning you ahead of time as we get to that. So, yeah, that was bizarre, absolutely bizarre that we're in what you're about to hear. And uh, then we're going to switch gears altogether. And uh, we're going to, um, when we come back from the break, we're going to walk through kind of a laundry list of the uh, teachings of Brian Tamaki of Destiny Church in New Zealand. And... Uh, the folks over at cultwatch.com have actually, you know, publicly stated that he is a cult leader, that, you know, that, you know, the Destiny Church in New Zealand is now a cult. We're going to walk through some of the bizarre teachings that he uh, has given over the years, as well as give you evidence of a bizarre false prophecy. And when he gave this prophecy, Brian Tamaki, when he gave it, Eddie Long was down there in uh, New Zealand, and uh, bizarre stuff. And then in hour number two, we're actually going to review a Brian Tamaki uh, sermon entitled The Broad Place, The Broad Place. So that will be uh, how we spend today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground that we need to cover, so we're going to get right to it. And since we're starting off with the prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update, that requires us to do... This. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, there they are standing in a row. 
Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give him a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the chairman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roly bowl a ball, roly bowl a ball, singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. That's right, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. That means we're doing a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And uh, on the docket is uh, Katie Sousa of Expected End Ministries, and probably one of the more bizarre teachings I've heard anybody teach. She's shameless, is the best way I can put it, in uh, her tellings of stories and things like that. She doesn't actually teach sound biblical doctrine, although she's going to try to make some kind of effort that she's engaging in exegesis when, in fact, she's not. Here's Katie Sousa to set up this uh, bizarre teaching that she's about to unfold for us. Here we go. Hi, this is Katie Susan. Welcome to Healing Your Soul, Real Keys to the Miraculous. Today, I'm going to continue to share an unusual revelation with you that I began last week. I put a lot of scripture into this teaching so that you would know that it is biblical. Yeah, we're going to judge that. And just because you've quoted a Bible passage doesn't mean you're actually teaching what God's Word says. Not unless you're using sound biblical hermeneutics and exegesis. So, you know, we're going to test that, Katie. Although you're making effort here to make this sound like a biblical teaching, I don't think it's going to end up becoming a biblical teaching because, well, you have a proclivity for the fanciful, uh, for telling your own stories and making that the foundation of your doctrine. You're quite the storyteller, if you know what I mean. But uh, so, okay, so you have a revelation that you're sharing for us. Okay, let's continue you walk this teaching out, you're going to see a lot of fruit. When the Lord first gave me this revelation. Yeah, when the Lord first gave me this revelation. See, when somebody starts talking like that, yeah, run, run, run. Yeah, they're claiming direct revelation from God. No. See, yeah, (laughs) scripture is sufficient. We don't need your direct revelations, Katie. In excruciating pain. I had been suffering from mysterious, unexplained body pains for many months. No way. Uh, By the way, you're probably wondering, what's with the soundtrack? Yeah, I know it's weird. This is going to be throughout part of this teaching of hers. And it's it's quite obnoxious and a little bit distracting. And we'll just have to slug through it. But for whatever reason, she's decided that the first few minutes of this program of hers has a soundtrack. Everything, prayer, fasting, aspirins, vitamins, health drinks, stretching, ice packs, heat pads, back patches. I tried it all and nothing worked. Then one night I cried out to God with all my might and he gave me this revelation. He told me I had pride in my life and that... Yeah, there's a shock. (laughs) Sin had wounded my soul. Uh huh. So God told you that the uh, the sin of pride wounded your soul, and what else did that do? Allowing a specific demonic king to torment my physical body. No way. So, all right. So let me see. If I got this straight. So God told you that you had a specific sin that had wounded your soul. 
that then sent a specific demonic entity, king, being, whatever, at you as a result because it could smell the, the, the how your soul was wounded kind of thing? Oh, really? Yeah. Don't you think that if God wanted us to know that this is what we're to believe as Christians, there would be a passage in the Bible that says, Thus saith the Lord, when you sin, thou woundest thy soul. And when you woundest thy soul, you open up yourself up to undergo attacks from specific demonic kings. There's no text that says this. So what she's going to basically do, what she's doing here is she's starting with her story. And now she's going to proof text by ripping verses out of their context to make them support the theology of her story. So again, the theology of her story is that, you know, you can wound your soul by specific sins and then open yourselves up, open yourself up to you come under attacks by specific demonic kings, which then, by the way, is going to lead to this idea that in order to overcome the particular attacks that you're experiencing, you must first bind, yeah, no joke, bind whatever demonic king is coming after you. You're thinking, what? <laughs> Where are you getting any of the... I understand it sounds goofy, and it is goofy, because the Bible doesn't actually teach this. So she's engaging in eisegesis. She's first telling her theology, then she's going to go in proof text to find verses to fit her narrative to basically prove her theology. It's a perfect circle, if you would, of reason, but it's a perfect circle of deceit and false doctrine. Today I'm going to tell you who that king is and the specific steps you need to take to defeat him. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Oh, I, I, this, I, this is some practical information right here. The Bible says that if you try to lay a hand on this king, you'll remember the battle and you'll never do it again. Oh, no. <laughs> How am I supposed to battle him if I am going to really regret battling him, you know? Are you suffering from some kind of an unexplained pain? And no, I'm not, actually. No matter what you've done, it doesn't go away. Today could be your answer. Today could be the day that you get free from your pain. Oh, wow, that's practical. So if you're if you're suffering from unexpected pain, well, today is your day of deliverance. You're going to learn the secret keys and the doctrine and theology via the direct revelation that God gave to Katie. You know, about, you know, wounded souls and, and demonic king thingies, right? Okay, we're going to talk about a particular sin that wounds the soul and how it brings a specific king upon you. <laughs> yeah, again, if the Bible, if God wanted us to believe this, the Bible would clearly teach this. Sin of pride. If you look up pride it, in the dictionary, it means arrogant, disdainful conduct or treatment, and haughtiness. Or an excessively high opinion of oneself. Yeah, that's what pride means. Pride is sneaky. You need to. We need to learn how to recognize it. And what we have to understand is that pride is more than just wrong. It can make you a sick. It can, can wound your soul because it's a sin, and sin wounds your soul. And it can cause you to be attacked by a specific king. A despot <laughs> I know you're thinking. Where is she getting this? Again, she's telling the narrative first, and then she's going to go hunting for verses to support the narrative. This is called eisegesis. 
spirit. Now, who are these spirits and who is their king? Yeah, please tell us. You've got to rescue us. There's people in my audience who are suffering from, you know, pains that they can't even explain. First look at the spirits, okay? In Luke 10, yeah. it says this, verse 19. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. So here's a promise from Jesus. Jesus said this, that we will never be able to be hurt by any snake or scorpion. Now, what is he referring to? It says, in the 70 return with joy, saying, Jesus, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Behold, I've given you authority and power to trample on serpents and scorpions. All right, so she's taken Luke chapter 10 out of context, and is she, she's really keying in on the words where Jesus says, I've given you authority over serpents and scorpions, which, by the way, is a reference to uh, d- you know demonic entities. That's exactly what's being talked about there. But let's take a look at a little bit of the context so we know what's going on here, and then we'll pay attention to the punchline in the text in Luke chapter 10 so we can find out what this text is really teaching us. So open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 10. We'll start at verse 1, and it says this, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom Then for that town, woe to you, Chorazan, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, the one who rejects you rejects me, the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So that's Jesus sending out the 72, and here's what it says. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And that is true. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the serpents are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So you'll notice verse 20 gives us the the kicker. I mean, they came back going, whoa, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Even the demons were subject to us. And 
Jesus then makes reference to, you know, how we saw Satan fall and how he'd given authority over, you know, given authority to those guys over the demonic. And then he says, and nevertheless, you really don't rejoice about that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the punchline there. So what Katie Sousa is doing, literally at this point, is she's gone into the Bible after first setting up her theology. She's she's laid out her theology first. Now she's going hunting for verses that support it. So you know, so she's going to talk about she's going to make a lot to do about serpents and scorpions next. Um, and make the reference to the demonic. Yes, that's truly what Jesus was referring to. But you'll notice that in that passage that I read in context from Luke 10, nothing was said about um, wounded souls, the sin of pride, and then by sinning in particular ways, you giving yourself, giving authority to demonic kings to send you know, demonic attacks against you. That was not what Jesus was saying at all. That's not what the text says at all. So what she's what is she doing with this text? She's basically ripped it out of context and has woven it into her theology. She's not actually engaging in exegesis. This is called eisegesis. See, so if you read this in context, they were just saying, wow, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Funny that she would say read it in context because she hasn't done that. And then he says, behold, I've given you power over snakes and scorpions. So if you read it in context... These snakes and scorpions that are referred to in the scripture are demonic entities. Amen? Yeah, that's true. Satan appeared as a serpent in the garden, didn't he? Yes, he did. I don't know if he did it in the spirit or in the natural, but if he can take on that form of being a serpent, do you think other demonic entities can take on that form also? Mm -hmm. This is not how we figure out theology. Notice she said something was true. Yes, Satan did. He was a serpent there in the Garden of Eden. No doubt about it. And then she says, if he can do it, don't you think others can do it? Yeah, that's not exactly how you do theology. You know, it's it's not like, again, this is kind of a syllogism that she's setting up. Well, if this is true, therefore, this next thing has got to be true. So, yeah, we got a problem. Yes? Okay. Now, what do these snakes and scorpions do to you? Well, let me ask you a question. Does Satan attack your physical body? Well, he can, yes. There's very clear evidence in Scripture that Satan attacks our physical bodies. Many of the uh, ailments that Jesus healed in uh, his healing ministry on earth uh, uh, you know, included uh, people who were oppressed physically via a demonic spirit, and, and it manifested in some cor- uh, form of physical illness. You, you can think about that. You can think about Job. So, yeah, of course. Job, right? He put sores all over his body, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Satan did that to Job, didn't he? So Satan attacks our physical body, doesn't he? Yes, and why are we talking about this? Satan is called that old serpent. So do you think that the demonic entities underneath him, who are also serpents, could also attack our physical bodies? Okay, so notice what she's trying to do is basically get people to logically agree with the narrative theology that she created for herself, which cannot actually be found in Scripture. And you know, and it's it's a combination of out of context verses and syllogistic logic of some kind. What about the scorpions? What do they do? 
Well, they also attack our physical body. And yeah. And, oh, no. So now we got snakes and scorpions coming right after us, right? Proof in Revelations 9. So it talks about these scorpions here. that They would sting men and they would torment men for five months. What kind of torment? I looked at... Yeah, the uh, scorpions in Revelation 9 are a symbol of something. The word torment there in the Strong's means, this is just a few of the meanings, to torture, to vex with grievous pain in the... Yeah, she's never studied Greek, but she's got Strong's. Uh-huh. Yeah, she doesn't even know how to properly use Strong's. ...and in the mind. These spirits are out to hurt you physically. And you're going to see they can do it because of what's in your soul. Um, what? <laughs> so I agree that demonic is there. I agree that they have no good intentions, that they're plotting and scheming all kinds of evil against Christ and his church. And yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. But w w what do you mean by something in my soul? You're going to see that when you have pride in your life, that sin wounds you. And enables these snakes and scorpions to torment you in your. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So they. So there we go. So if you have pride in your life, it wounds your soul, which no biblical text says, which then opens you up for snake scorpion attack under some kind of demonic king. Right. Yeah. And again, if this is what the Bible really taught, why aren't you just going? To the biblical text that talks about um, the you know how our souls are wounded by the sin of pride and how that puts us under the uh, subjection of a particular demonic king. Why can't you just go to that text where it clearly lays this out? The text that you read in Luke ten doesn't teach this. Uh, Revelation nine doesn't teach this. So um, yeah, she's again out of context verses stringing them together. Uh, you know, to fit her narrative theology. Body and in your mind. Amen? Not too long ago, I was under a snake attack. What do I mean by that? And here comes the personal story, and her soundtrack is just bugging me. I was having some of the most horrendous body pain that I've ever had. I mean, my whole body hurt, and the pain would move around. And it didn't matter what you did. It would continue to hurt. Okay, you could go to the chiropractor and it would hurt worse after you left. You could put a uh, you could put a hot pad on or a cold pad on or take an aspirin or or have a massage or whatever you wanted to try and it would hurt worse afterwards. And finally, somebody on my team had a vision. They called me up and said, "I just saw a big huge boa snake wrapped around your entire body." I command the snake to leave and it laughed. And this just kept on happening all day long. The snake would come. There'd be pain. I'd get rid of it. It would stay off for 20, 30, 40 minutes, and it would come back again. Mm, oh, that's a persistent snake right there. Yeah, you, you might want to call somebody who knows how to handle snakes. Um, so now we've got this bizarre story. Oh, yeah, she's been suffering, and, and somebody had a vision that there was a snake, and it would keep coming back after it was... What does that mean? How is that possible? Who will save you? A big old snake attack. And finally, I wake up and I'm like, okay, okay. 
If these snakes are there and they keep on coming back, then there must be something in my soul that's giving it the legal right. Uh-huh. And where in the Bible does it say that you there's something in your soul that gives snakes and scorpions the legal right to attack you? I'm just not familiar with that text. Otherwise, I'd be able to get rid of them and they would stay gone. Of course. See, it has to be that because otherwise, you know, if it wasn't that, you'd be able to just get rid of them and they'd stay away. Now, we've been talking about demonic... Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, no more soundtrack. But we continue with this bizarre teaching. Haven't we? Now, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against despots. That's what the Amplified says, despots, which is what? A tyrant king. Despots, powers, and master spirits. We're wrestling against kings and their kingdoms. These are the strong men that Jesus talked about in Matthew 17. Now, what does Jesus say in that verse? If you want a th- verse. Actually, Jesus, in talking about the strong men, did it in more than just one verse. He ransacked the strong man's house, i.e., if you want to get rid of every snake and every scorpion, you got to first bind the strong man. So that would mean that there's a strong... Yeah, that's not what's going on in uh, that passage. By the way, it's Matthew chapter 12, not 17. Um, Let me read it to you in context so we understand what's going on here. Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 22. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw... And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of the demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house." Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, that's it in context. And so what happens is is that you know crackpots from the uh, you know prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate they like to key in on that on the passage that verse right there where Jesus says that you know unless you first bind the strong man right uh, the thing is is that Jesus is saying in this text that he is the one who has already bound the strong man which is evidenced by the fact that he's plundering Satan's dominion you know, by setting people free, which was further proof that the the Pharisees, who were the ones who were saying that Jesus was doing this by the king of the demons, by Beelzebub, that they they, they they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit by attributing to the devil the work of the Spirit through Jesus. And so, yeah, and so this, this idea of binding the strong man, that's not some kind of strategy that we're supposed to be employing 
in our fight against the demonic realm. No, if you want to know what that looks like, you read Ephesians 6. But this here, you know, the the uh, the example of the strong man, Jesus is making clear he's oh, he's bound the strong man cuz he's pilfering his his stuff. That's what's going on. So uh yeah, Katie Souza is just I mean, every text she touches out of context. Why? She's not teaching what the text says. She gave her theology already. She's hunting in the scriptures now to find stuff that can shoehorn into her theology to make it look like it's biblical when it's not. And over these snakes and scorpions, and in order for them to get off, I got to bind him. Now, do you remember how you bind the strong man? What is <laughs> so the, the, that's an important piece of what she just said. So she believes that, well, she, remember, she's under a, a snake, a, a serpent and scorpion attack. And they keep coming back. I mean, every 40 minutes or so, she gets rid of them and they come back. And and so now she's remembered, oh, yeah, Jesus said something in Matthew about the strong man. So in order to get rid of the snakes and scorpions, that means I got to first bind the strong man. That is not what this text is saying at all. Strong man mean? It means one who has strength of soul to resist the attacks of Satan. So the way you bind the strong man is you get healed of the wounds that you have in common with that strong man. Uh, <laughs> really? Which biblical text says that the way I bind the strong man is to heal the wounds in my soul that I have in common with the strong man? There's no biblical text that says this at all. Why are these people in this very large church listening to this woman? She's a total crackpot. Right? You're with me, right? No, I'm not with you at all. You're utterly foolish. Okay. So here I am. I'm under this snake attack. And it came to a night that I was about to get ready to go out on tour. Nothing worse than going out on tour when you're under attack. Yeah, I know. Those those serpent scorpion attacks. Ugh. Yeah, they, they mess up my evenings quite often. <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. So it's like 1130 at night. I have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning to get on the plane. And I'm in agony. I am in complete torturous agony. Remember what the, uh, uh, the scorpions, they torment you, it says, and it means grievous pains in both the body and the mind. I was having that grievous pain. Uh huh. You take a Pepsi. It'll go away time i was in such pain on my back that i had to lay on a pillow on my front and just sit there crying to god saying what is it god help me help me what is it i i've tried everything what is it tell me what it is and i have a vision right at that moment oh how convenient i mean i mean job <laughs> went a long long time trying to get an answer from god and and finally god did answer but um, yeah, you, I'm so glad you got it immediately. Now there are scorpions lined up on my back with their tails like this going sting, 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 sting. And I am in agony. Ah, so you, a demonic scorpion attack right at her lower back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't go see a doctor for that. So, I mean, what do you do? What did God say to you? As if God was talking to her. God, you got to tell me what it is. I know you want to tell me what it is. See, that's the thing. We got to know that God wants to tell us. I said, just tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. And he goes, shh. God shushed you? Really? 
No, not really. I mean, <laughs> this woman's telling tall tales. She's going to have to give a, 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 an explanation to Jesus why she was talking like this. Well, as soon as you're quiet. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, what do you teach? And I go, I don't know about the soul, about the king. What is it? What? And he puts this scripture in my mind. Ready? Okay, I'm ready. What, what scripture did God put in your mind? Remember, if I want to thoroughly ransack all the snakes and scorpions in the house, I got to bind the strong man, right? <laughs> right, yes, of course. Everybody knows that. If you want to get rid of snakes and scorpions, you've got to first bind the strong man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, scripture doesn't teach this. This is utter nonsense. Uh, find out who the king is over these. Yeah, over you have, quick, find out who's the king. So God revealed to you who the king was that came against you? These snakes and scorpions, right? He puts this scripture in my mind. Job 41. And this is about a spirit called Leviathan. No. Leviathan himself? Whoa, what'd you do? And this is what it says about Leviathan. Listen very carefully. It says, he beholdeth every high thing. He is the king over the children of pride. (gasps) No way. So what you're saying is that Leviathan is the demonic king over those who've wounded their soul with a sin of pride. And so you had sin in pride, and that's why Leviathan sent serpents and scorpions to sting you in your back. No way. So once you figured out who the king was, you were able to get rid of that that, uh, serpent uh, scorpion attack thingy, right? He's a king. You hear that? He's a king. The scripture says he's a king. What is he the king over? Right? says he's the king over the children of pride, but is he the king over these snakes and scorpions? Well, let's look at it. What does the Bible say about Leviathan? In verse 20, in chapter 27 of Isaiah, it says, The Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. No. Wow. Oh, this is some practical information to spiritual warfare, is it not? Now we know that if your soul's been wounded by the sin of pride, well, then that, then you've come under the attack of King Leviathan, you know, and he's going to send his serpent scorpion army thing right after you. Yeah. Leviathan, that twisted serpent. What does it say in Psalm 74? It says, you broke the heads of the sea serpents in the water. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces. Wow, he's a big serpent. That would qualify him to be over the other serpents and scorpions, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, that just makes total logical sense right there. Yeah, yeah. And the Bible says that he is a king. Oh, yeah, it does right there in uh, Job 41. It says it right there, yeah. I believe he is the king over these snakes and scorpions. And that if you want to defeat these snakes and scorpions who give you grievous bodily torture, mental torture, physical pain. Yeah. Then you got to first bind the strong man that's over those snakes and scorpions. So how exactly do I bind Leviathan again? I, I have to do something to my soul because of the sin that I have in common with him, right? Yeah, okay. 
Now, how do you bind this strongman? How do you bind Leviathan? Because yeah, I mean, please, I, uh, can I go somewhere and get a Leviathan, you know, spray or maybe some Leviathan, you know, pellets or something like that? What does he like to eat? Maybe I can poison him, you know. I'll tell you something. You cannot just start rebuking, binding, casting down Leviathan. That's not how you battle Leviathan. Let me prove it to you. Ready? Uh, man. I, I, oh, what am I going to do? I mean, all these, all these people running around the planet who've committed the sin of pride, and they can't even bind and rebuke Leviathan. They're just doomed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you get the point. I think I've stretched this out a little bit longer than I ought to have. But uh, she's not teaching what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach this. She started with her theology, told her personal stories, claimed direct revelation, took verses out of context, carefully designed to fit into her narrative. And voila, you now have this bizarre spiritual warfare doctrine technique that people are thinking, oh, this is going to be really important because you know, the people, after hearing this, have gone home and go, we, we got to, we we've got to do something to to bind Leviathan. I mean, I would want one of those uh, serpent scorpion attacks coming after me. Yeah, and you know what ends up happening with this type of teaching? People start chasing their tails and looking for demons under every rock and try to figure out the 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 proper spells and words and techniques necessary to bind the strong man, you know, so they can stop particular demonic attacks. And they become very zealous warriors going after the spiritual demonic forces of evil. And you know what they end up leaving? Who they end up leaving in the dust? Jesus. Yeah. You know, this is um, this is another one of those theological squirrels that people chase after, and at the end of the day, the, the person they leave in the dust is Jesus, and they don't learn anything substantive about Jesus. And Jesus never wanted you to believe this idea about you know binding the strong man, because nowhere in Scripture is that what's taught, and that's never that's not what Jesus said or meant when you look at it in context. Sad indeed. Katie Sousa is a total crackpot teaching her crackpot theology to other people, and they're eating up, gobbling it up, and thinking that this is actually what they're receiving, the truth from a well-respected prophetess and, and one who hears directly from God, you know. But really what they're getting is just demonic distraction, you know, posing as theological and biblical doctrine, but anything but that. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, Apollo White update. Now, again, not for little ears. And then also we're going to spend some time taking a look at these strange cultic teachings of uh, Brian Tamaki. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Ha 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 ha! No, 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 a pirate's life for me. We'll go to the cover, we'll break a little drink up behind your home. We kidnap 
Theater presents Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred. I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you with this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. Radio for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now, here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! 
wonder when this is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. Um, there's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court, but there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code 
for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that, uh, well, people out there claiming that they know how to fight spiritual forces by finding strong men and stuff like that don't know what they're talking about. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. Uh, When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we truly cannot do what we are doing here Without it, just a reminder, this segment, probably not going to be good for little ears. And, you know, so yeah, use discretion. Moving along. I've got 90,000 Time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer. And my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, 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 money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must anchor for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that waits the world go round, round, round. You round, can keep round. your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. Right, the Monty Python money song, and uh, that means it's time for an update on a money-grubbing televangelist. Now, uh, like I said at the beginning of the program, Paula White recently got remarried, and I think this is marriage three for her, and uh, she married uh, Jonathan Kane, the uh, the keyboardist for the rock band Journey. And I think he's on his third marriage as well. And uh, in fact, you know, I won't be playing this now. He actually believes that God, um, well, it spoke to him and had him leave his wife and children. Yeah, not for Paula White, but just leave them. And then eventually he found Paula White. Apparently they met on a Southwest Airlines flight, you know, a few years back. But anyway, they recently got married. And uh, now that they're married, well, Jonathan Cain... You know, he got to co-preach with Pastrix Paula White at their Destiny Center in um, in near Orlando. But uh, anyway, what you're going to hear here is them talking about, well, marital intimacy. Yeah, this is one of those relationship sermon series. And Jonathan Cain gave some advice to the folks there at Pastrix, Pastrix Paula's churches, uh, church. And um, it basically, I, I'll just have to let him explain. Here we go. 
We, we're going to be one big happy family. Wait till we get to your sex life. We're just starting right now. <laughs> I realize the kids are in here. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Dad. Well, Amen. I, I think, too. Uh, yeah, this is Jonathan Kane, uh, the husband of Pastor Paula White, talking. Have to, or don't have to, but women uh, should look at a man and find out what turns him on. I mean, and you can talk about this. This is something that, you know, how freaky do you want to get? You know what I mean? And Really, really. So, okay. So this pulpit uh, um, advice, you know, you women need to ask your husbands how freaky they want to get. It gets worse. If you, if you don't have that conversation with your man, if you don't have that conversation, then, you know, you're not fulfilling everything that he really, truly wants. Uh-huh. Right. Because, yeah, right. We continue. So that, this part, the sexual fulfillment, comes with deep study within each other. You have to look inside and say, what, what turns you on? You know, what is it that you like to do? And if you don't have that conversation, it's going to be broken sometimes. Yeah, okay, so yeah, I am sure that conversation would be broken, but yeah, again, the advice is going to get even stronger than what it is you just heard. We continue. And the other part of it is, ladies, if you don't know what he likes, you know, figure it out. Get a book. Go get some porn. Do something. Whatever. <laughs> if he likes to watch porn, watch porn with him. You know uh-huh. Yeah, so... um if um, your husband likes to watch porn, watch porn with him. The advice of um, Journey keyboard rocker and husband of Pastrix Paula White, given in church. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Um, I can't think of a single time when watching porn would not be a sin. So we've got a real problem here. Blind leading the blind. But uh, Paula knows that what he just said is going to set the church world ablaze. Let's listen to what she does to try to cover for him. It, it's like, you got to get where you're going to go. Figure it out. <laughs> Sonia fell on the floor. <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. I, okay, I'm going to clear some stuff up because I know the church world. John and I don't watch porn. We have never watched porn together. I stay in my own lane. Okay, we don't. He doesn't watch porn without me because y'all are like that. And and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clear up because I know y'all just like breaking out. And we're not advocates of saying go outside. But what he's saying is educate yourself on sexuality. Yeah, um, porn would be the last place I would ever want to educate myself about anything pertaining to sex. What he's saying, he's not saying get addicted to porn. He's saying educate yourself. But if you're gonna, yeah, uh, that's right. Don't get addicted to porn. You know, just think of it as a homework assignment. Right. Uh huh. Say we don't know what to do. Get educated. We don't know what to do. Yeah, if you don't know what, it's really not that hard to figure out. You don't need porn to figure it out. Wow. What on earth? So there you go. Um, yeah, one of the more bizarre things I've heard in a while. Um, 
And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how Pastrix Paula White wants to spin it. Yeah, her husband did say, you know, hey, you you women need to figure out what your husband likes. And uh, and if that means watching porn with him, then, you know, you need to do that. And, oh, yeah, that was said in a, in well, a, a place that calls itself a church. Uh, moving along. Yeah, time for a Los Lobos Wolves uh, update. We're going to spend a little bit of time reviewing the bizarre doctrines of Brian Tamaki, who will we will be doing a full-blown sermon review in hour number two. Yeah, um, the uh, the the website coltwatch.com, coltwatch.com. By the way, that they have some fantastic resources there at uh, coltwatch.com. If you need to do some research, you know, is you know, is this church, is that pastor, you know, are they behaving like a cult? What are the what are, what are the symptoms of a cult? You know, what 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 are the hallmarks of a cult leader? They have great articles that kind of introduce you to the topic. And what they've done here, Brian Tamaki of uh, Destiny Church in New Zealand, they've actually issued a full-blown, for real warning that uh, Brian, you know, that Brian Tamaki is a cult leader. And cult leaders, they teach heresy. Oh yeah, they do. A cult leader is somebody, you know, whose allegiance is to them. They claim to be receiving direct revelation from God. Allegiance is to them, and they don't teach biblical orthodoxy. They teach other stuff. And uh, Brian Tamaki, uh, you know, he denies the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And he has a very weird way in which he gets around to teaching that doctrine. And so we're going to listen to kind of a series of sound bites as he builds his, uh, his belief that uh, Jesus is, well, actually didn't rise bodily from the grave. Uh, here's the first soundbite to kind of set this up. This is, this is something that you have to get by revelation because you will never be convinced enough by your natural understanding. You'll never sustain it. If you ever go back into your mind or your flesh, you will give up on this or you'll let it go because there are too many forces and too much teaching and too much backlog of religion that will cause you to go back. You will doubt it. So revelation. So whatever this doctrine is, he's going to teach. Well, you're only going to get this by by revelation, and by revelation there at Destiny Church in New Zealand, that means direct revelation given through Bishop Brian Tamaki. Has to hold this. Hence, I've been for the last year preparing you so that you could be a people who could receive revelation, so you could get and understand what the Bible is really saying. Okay, so that's the first part of this. Um, next one. So he's basically, I've been preparing you so that you're ready to receive direct revelation from me, Brian Tamaki. That's what he's saying. Next, you know, the, again, this, this is a doctrine that builds, but it's his denial of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. We continue. Theologians would have great difficulty with me. A lot of reverends, pastors, vicars, bishops, and Pentecostal pastors would all kill right now. Um, because they would have difficulty. That's the first thing they would do is that they would immediately move in to a spirit of condescension. They, they would say, you cannot say that. Now, no- Theologians would have... You cannot say that. 
Now, notice that is to prepare them for the inevitable pushback from their Christian friends, you know, pastors and people like that. So this is a way of basically trying to basically say, what I'm about to tell you, I'm going to tell you via, via direct revelation. Of course, there's a bunch of pastors out there who are going to say, you can't say that, but you're getting it via direct revelation from me. So be prepared for the pushback of this direct revelation. Next, he says this. You must get out of your mind that that Jesus Christ is now uh, is still Jesus of Nazareth. What? To whom he was, but Jesus of Nazareth did not come out of the tomb. The flesh Jesus died in the tomb. Uh-huh, the flesh Jesus died in the tomb. So this is a denial of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. There's a little bit more. So, so Jesus of Nazareth had to put off his flesh body... So the Christ that was always there could now be a life-giving spirit. Uh-huh. So Jesus had to put off his flesh body so that the Christ... Was, yeah, this sounds like Gnosticism. It really does. A form of Gnosticism. Gnostics believe that the flesh is evil and, you know, and believe that you know, Jesus, you know, the, you know, the, the Christ, you know, only appeared to be in flesh. Right. So there you go, uh, Brian Tamaki denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Um, Brian Tamaki also, by the way, teaches that we're all gods. Yep, here's, uh, here's the first of uh, several sound bites as he unfolds this demonic teaching. It is, it is a fallacy. It is a, false, it is a false mentality. It is very bad teaching in the body of Christ to actually get believers to think or to feel or to believe that they're anything less than the actual same divinity and substance of spirit as God. Yeah, so apparently we're all the same divinity and substance of spirit as God. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Here's the next one. Here is the problem, because God's spirit is in you. That in the beginning he even blew in the nostrils of of the first man, he had no life until God put Zoe, spirit life, into him. God put his spirit. His spirit is his spirit. It is no less just because it touches something. God's spirit is God's spirit, whether it touches this pulpit, whether it touches your flesh, or whether it touches a tree, or it, or it touches nothing. It is still spirit. And it is still the very essence of what God is. In other words, it cannot be less because he puts it into something else and then begins to, to give, give the endorsement that what he puts it in is actually in his image and in his likeness. What I'm trying to tell you is that there is no difference between what is in you and what is God. Yeah, that's not blasphemous at all, is it? No difference that what the uh, difference between what is in you and what is God. You are gods, is what he says. He continues. So the church of the firstborn is the church, simply put in this way, of many Christs, and one Christ. Yeah, many Christs. So you are all little Christos, you know, false Christ. Then, right? There be no other. They are many Christs of the one Christ. So they are all portions of Christ. Because Christ is in them, and we are in him, right? I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the church of the firstborn is simply the first 
beginnings of the church of many Christs who are sons of God, which is the same revelation that God gave to Peter about seeing who Jesus of Nazareth was. He was Christ in there, and he was the son of God. Yeah, you kind of get the idea. Now, kind of last but not least, I'm going to play for you um, a, a, a prophecy that was given by uh, Brian Tamaki. And um, this was given in October of 2003, and it has not been fulfilled. This proves, by the way, that he is a false prophet. Listen to this failed prophecy. Here we go. We are nothing. And it's all because of him that we are who we are and that we know who we are. As Bishop preached so well and taught us last night that it's important to know who we are and we know who we are we know what we've got to do I predict in the next five years by the time we hit our 10th anniversary so five years from October 2003 would have been October 2008 and I don't say this lightly. Okay, well, he's, not, he's saying this heavily, right? not lightly. But we will be ruling the nation. Ah, so the Destiny Church in New Zealand will be ruling New Zealand by October 2008. Last time I checked, uh, this um, New Zealand is not ruled by Destiny Church. And that's Bishop Eddie Long in the audience. I'm looking at the video here. There's Bishop Eddie Long, you know, clapping for Brian Tamaki. But shall be upon his shoulders. And then peace can come to this nation. But just let me tell you this quickly as you ever see. And I'll explain a little bit more tonight. But I feel very strongly in my heart that the word of the Lord came to me very strong. So the word of the Lord came to you strong. You believe that in your heart. Your prophecy did not come true. You're a false prophet. And, and stronger over this weekend that this will actually be the first nation historically in the world to be under the governance of God. Yeah, and that hasn't happened, has it? I mean, true true governance, true kingdom authority expressed through the people of God and through our political orders. So we're going to have a fantastic time tonight, but right now, it's our awesome privilege to introduce you to somebody. And there's Bishop Eddie Long. He made a declaration. You know, recognizing uh, Brian Tamaki's um, prophecy? That in five years, you shall be ruling and reigning in this nation. Yeah, and uh, they aren't, thankfully. Wow. That means you control the wealth. That means you control the riches. That means you control the politics. That means you control the social order. That means that you are in charge. Yeah, that would be a total train wreck there in New Zealand. Could you imagine... Uh, 
Destiny Church literally having total political power in any nation, yet alone New Zealand. Touch, touch your neighbor and say, it, it happens because of order. Yeah, well, okay, but it didn't happen, which proves that uh, Brian Tamaki is a uh, false prophet. So he's a, he claims to receive direct revelation from God, and this is the reason why, folks, when you have a vision-casting leader in a church and anybody challenges the vision, well, they are seen as actually challenging God himself because the people in the churches where there's vision-casting leaders, they believe that the guy got a vision from God, so to question him is to question God. You know, and only the devil would do that. And so, you know, and this sets it up, folks. That's the kind of thing that sets it up. The person claiming direct revelation to be the prophet sets it up for him to basically become the unchallengeable uh, leader of the cult, if you would, and then to teach whatever they want. And uh, in the case of Brian Tamaki, you know, he denies the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He believes that we're all little gods. In fact, there's, uh, there is evidence that he actually claims that thinks of himself as Jesus himself. So, I mean, and then, of course, we demonstrate that he's a false prophet. But that, all of that's to kind of set the table for what it is that we're going to be listening, listening to in hour number two. We're going to do a full-blown sermon review of a Brian Tamaki sermon. But we are up on our second break. We'll get to it after this. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can uh, subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, a Brian Tamaki sermon from a guy who's a bona fide cult leader from Destiny Church in New Zealand. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc. But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. 
Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Do this right, though. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via destiny church and you have to put church in quotes it's more like destiny cult in uh, new zealand bishop brian tamaki presiding the name of the sermon we'll be listening to is entitled the broad place the broad place i don't know how else to prepare you for this uh, other than what i've already done this this is not these are not the thoughts of a man who is a sound exegete. These are the thoughts and musings of a man who believes himself to be a conduit of God and receives direct revelation from God that is flat out contradicted by the scriptures and uh, knows that he's going to be opposed by pastors and theologians and stuff like that, but he's prepared the people in his congregation to receive the revelation so that they could stand against those evil pastors and and theologians who would dare contradict the bishop, Brian Tamaki, who is a conduit, and maybe even Jesus himself. So let me back off on the music, and without any further ado, here's the sermon, The Broad Place. Here we go. Yeah, let's welcome our man of God to the stage this morning. Weird uh, introduction for a pastor, don't you think? Oh, I'm sorry. It's Bishop Brian Tamaki. How cool. How cool is that? Hey, kids. How cool is that? 
what an awesome lineup of people we have in this church. Isn't it great to be in a great church like this that has such... Amen. Let's, let's just put our hands together and give God some praise for 60 seconds. Hallelujah. Wow. Father, you are a great God. You do everything so well. Man, we're just blessed to be considered to be saved as long as we have. Lord, I don't take one day for granted in what you've done for my life. I pray for these beautiful people, this church, and Lord, every church that meets today and all over the world. I particularly pray, though, for Destiny Churches in New Zealand and Australia, those that are ready to become new churches, new places and new people added. Father, I pray for the family of God that you continue to open our lives to the wonderful blessing and the grace, the power, the love, the faith, and all the good things that we can have in our life to assist us and help us to not only be better people, but, Lord, to serve you faithfully right to the end. We honor you. We just want to take another few seconds to just reflect on the fact is that I am grateful. I am grateful. If I moaned on the way to church or even this morning about something that I'm just forgetting that I've got a house or if I haven't got a house, I've got some shelter. I've got some clothes on, hopefully. I've got some food. I'm in a good country. We can worship with colour and with freedom. We're not underground like the Chinese church, meeting in holes in the ground, and yet they are grateful and they're happy. I know people that are in heated places and places that are so bright and beautiful and free, and yet they can be quite sad and grumpy. But not us, Lord. We are happy today. Happy to be here. Happy that you chose us. And I'm glad for who we are, I am, you are, they are. In Jesus' name we pray, and somebody say, Amen. 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 Wow, that's awesome. I can't see you yet because there's just the lights on me. That's, I want some lights on them. That's good. I like to see the church. It doesn't take me long. I've got bionic eyes. I can see who's happy, who's here, and who isn't. And it's great to see you all here. Not that I'm worried about that. It's just the pastoral eye on me. I love to see the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, on uh, Sunday, uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, is it Tuesday? Hannah and I, we leave <clears throat> this country, and I'm going to um, go to Brisbane and see that church, and then I pick up my son and my daughter and go up to Europe, uh, up to the, one of the islands there for a week. Um, and this is after I've spent a, a five days with all my pastors and their wives giving direction and parting to their lives. We're uh, um, up in the best place in the world, Topol. And um, I'm pretty sure we're going to be starting a church there pretty shortly. There's some people there that are keen. Actually, there's people keen all over the place. I've got to start Perth because they're waiting. There's about 50, 60 people in Perth. Melbourne's keen. Someone in Sydney's keen. They're keen again. So don't you worry, some stuff happening and I... I just got to get my A into G. I got to work harder. 
But then when I have young people like this, like Caleb and the team and, and the hair Mark do what he did, the church is in pretty good hands, huh? Pretty good hands. And there's so many of you. And what you do and where you serve, we are so blessed to have that. So I've had it this week. So we're going up to Europe and to spend some time there. Then I'm flying. This is why I did that and, and moved with him because he's, he's in his church and my son is doing that work. And a father couldn't have a better um, probably testimony. And it's not as seeing all your children grow up in the house of the Lord and your grandchildren, but to see them serve full time. You know, and um, when I say full time, it's gone past that. I mean, you're full time when we work, but for them to give their lives and their own volition to serve God Amen. is um, a, a wonderful satisfaction for my wife and I. Um, but I'm also flying to, after that, I'm going to Miami. Don't ask me why I choose all these places. I didn't choose Miami and I didn't choose the Greek islands. I just flow. And I end up in all these places because I put God first. I can go further than anybody else because I put God first. I can go some places in my own strength, but nothing like how God arranges it. Uh, it, It's all because you put God first that you're able to go on all these places. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, you're so wow. Yeah. I'm impressed. Not really. Mm. So I'm going to Miami, but I'm working. I'm preaching. So they've asked me to go and speak at a kingdom conference with um, a lot of the um, the, uh, African-American churches and bishops and pastors and so forth. So I'm the keynote speaker there. That's not pretty good, eh? Something must have got out and leaked out somewhere that... So this sermon starts off with all about, well, what you're up to, because, I mean, you're so important, and you've, of course, put God first in your life. So, yeah, let's start off a sermon talking about you. Yeah, that, that's great. It's okay. <laughs> and, um, but from there, I'm then flying up to Atlanta, Hannah and I, and we'll be with Bishop Long as his guest, and I'll be preaching in his services, and whatever else he, he wants me to do. But um, I can hardly wait to drop my... Uh, A-bombs and J-bombs and and R-bombs, Revelation bombs. I've got a big R-bomb for you today. An R-bomb is a Revelation bomb, by the way. He's got a big R-bomb. Okay, yeah, can't wait to hear this direct revelation. Yeah, I have. Oh, yeah, I have. So, just just here and there, I'm not at... Just, if you've got a fleeting um, remembrance of us, (laughs) just... Just, you know, for the ministry. Just here and there, pray for the ministry. goes good. And there's always something. I always look for the additives to our church and, and for us. And who knows what could happen. Anything can happen. Anything can happen because Greece, you know, who knows? Sometimes in the places that are collapsing financially like that, you know, there might be a reason why I might go and talk to a couple of uh, Greek people and something could be arranged. I don't know. Who knows? You might even save the whole economy of Greece. I mean, you're that important. I mean, you know, we know that. Yeah, because, you know, you were supposed to be, you know, ruling the entire country of New Zealand, you know, back in October of 2008. Yeah, maybe God changed his mind. I I don't know. We continue. America, and uh, wherever I put my feet, I'm always serving God. And I go on your behalf and my... Our greatest credentials is this church and all the churches in destiny. You are our, you are our ticket. You are the authority that I that I go on, and so it's awesome. Thank you very much. Just let you know what's happening. So Tuesday, I'm way about not long, three weeks, is it? Three weeks. 
So I expect you to behave yourselves and, and don't get up to too much mischief while I'm away. You know, keep coming to church. No, I don't have to say that anymore. Praise the Lord. Turn your neighbour and say, <laughs> That's probably the best word I can say something. Say something. All right. Must have seen me struggle to find a word, uh, Rick. Okay. Woohoo. My man. Nick. I, um, yeah, I got something. This is, this is incredible. So, uh, I'll start off like this. What I want to speak to you is a new place in God. I didn't register a thing with you. That's okay. <laughs> Just a new place in God. Yeah, the sentence doesn't make any sense. A new place in God. Yeah, uh-huh, right. For you. Uh, for me, yeah, wow. New place in God for me. Yeah, that's like the sentence, blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. It doesn't actually mean anything. What I'm about to talk about, right, is hardly known. It's hardly known in the body of Christ. Some of us may have stumbled upon it without intentionally knowing it. I, for one, am one of those. And now I've got a lot more perspective on why my life is like it is. But more importantly, how God is, so reflection from the past to now and the future is very helpful in understanding what I'm going to share with you in a moment is very powerful, very powerful. So powerful, I thought, how come I've never heard about this before? But the Lord reminded me, you have been doing it, but you just didn't know what it was. Oh, yeah. The Lord told you that. Really? Uh-huh. But now that you do, he says, it's the right time. Oh, how convenient. You've been doing this thing without even knowing it. That's what God told you. No, he didn't. So, it's not known. Very few are in it. <laughs> Man, am I going to share this? Yeah, very few are in it, but you're part of that select few, I'm sure. It will probably, it'll be very helpful at the very least. How can I say, I, I could start like this. Um, why, what is the thing with most men that is one of the major problems that stems from childhood, uh, family, uh, raising in certain family environments, how, where you're brought up, the culture, the people that you're exposed to, um, that had some type of influence on your life for good and for bad, and all of the combination of things that go into your life before you were saved, even all of that, that nothing of it was wasted, that God actually knows how to use all that you thought probably should never be heard of again and discarded, even in the evil things God could turn for good, even out of the bad things in life that happen to you or that you do, 
Somehow in all of that, God extracts out of those worst times little gems and diamonds that go to, to contribute into something about you. I have no idea what you're talking about. But, I'm going to say this. There would be, except for the exception of maybe a very small percentage, I'm talking to men first, very few would escape life's troubles without their ego being bruised. Do you know what ego is? It's a thing that you've been led to believe that is evil. Or it's always used in the reference. It's about somebody who's egotistical, is um, ego-driven, and meaning in the negative. Yeah, like the big I. Yeah, it's all about me. Yeah. That they're all about self. So, obviously, ego is something and is described by just a simple dictionary. Or if you would, we get a little bit more theological, I can find it for you. It is a God-given, created gift to men. Um, God-given, created gift. The, the ego of men is a gift given by God to men. Really? Yeah, you're going to have to show me that in the Bible. Ego is the understanding of yourself and who you are. It has a lot to do with one's identity. Right? You with me? Has one has has a lot to do with one's manhood. So I don't. I can be a dumb devil and know enough to. All I have to do is bruise the man's ego and get him on a trip of 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 self-absorption, arrogance, pride, uh, escapism in drugs and alcohol and relationships, uh, sexual relationships, um, all sorts of criminal things, negativity. Uh, hide it behind other identity screens. You with me? Because if you bruise his ego, you bruise essentially himself. And a loss of confidence comes. I hear the all-black coach this morning in the newspaper, I read, sorry, um, Hanson, Steve Hanson saying about Sonny Bill Williams, people saying, is he worth taking? He, he hasn't done, performed very well. And he, 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 he brings this beautiful line out about saying, how beautiful a thing is confidence. That if you can have a lot of it, you can do anything you want. So even the world in their state recognize an ego. A confidence. A self-belief. So all the devil has to do is get the man's ego bruised. And the earlier he does it in life, the better. Because then the man is wounded for life. Now, I, I'm not here to talk about this, but I, I can tell you that... Yeah, Scripture says our problem is that we're born dead in trespasses and sins, and we're under the dominion of the devil as a result of our dead in trespasses and sins. Yeah, the devil doesn't need to bruise our egos. We're already under his power before we're brought to penitent faith in Christ. That for a start, that if a man can just be healed of his ego, his bruised ego, a whole lot more things would happen for him in his life, his marriage, the way that he holds himself, the confidence he has to do the right things. And uh, so God's in the business of healing bruised egos. 
Yeah, again, you're going to have to show me this from Scripture. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, you get direct revelation. Yeah, forgot about that. A whole lot of things that I see that bind our men up is directly related to how he feels about himself, what's been told to him, how he's been raised, and the thing that I, I think is important, how his ego has been damaged. So we compensate with a lot of false things to help put it out front. Whether a whole lot of guys get together and join a gang, or a businessman that does crooked things in his business. He pushes himself forward in front of others. Or a bishop prophet who gives forth false prophecies and false revelations from God. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. To be accepted, we do the darndest things to make sure that we can stand tall and we're, we're, we're accepted, we're endorsed, uh, we're affirmed in different ways and whatever. And it comes down to a lot of things in life. It affects everything that you do in life. If that thing ain't healthy, then nothing else is healthy. If you haven't got a healthy, you can't have a healthy relationship with others if you haven't got a healthy relationship with you. A lot of people need a... So I, I need a healthy relationship with me. Yeah. <laughs> How do you do that? Stop for a moment and figure yourself out. Because some of the drive and what you are doing is really not because you found something to make you happy, but deep inside, you still haven't come to terms with the real you. For and what is the real me? Woman, probably, they can answer this better, but I'm on the spot, I'm on my feet, and, I could, and I'm open to accept other um, interpretations. But I think for ladies, the actual fact that they've been suppressed in a lot of places in life suppressed in the sense that inequality, counted as second class, not being able to be the, the full happy woman that you are, but to be bound by all sorts of rules that man has made, all sorts of things that have been misused and abused in your, to your life, to keep you and essentially below the man, below what people think in organisations, to keep women inferior. It may be just in your gifts and your talents. For a woman there who is really something very special, and they're all special actually, but so many things that can happen to steal away your ego. Okay. Notice no biblical text yet. How was it? How, how many are aware of, of David? You know, you, King David. The only man... That's why I pick on him for a start. In the Bible, that God himself says that this man has a heart like mine. So he's worth studying. Because if his heart was as close as you can get to God's, then you need to be looking a little bit more at David. And you can't go past his, his beautiful writings in the Psalms to reveal his early years because David was deeply and profoundly conditioned long before he arrived on the battlefield with the monster Goliath and the Philistine army and Israel's history. Listen to this. To be deeply conditioned and to be developed like he was, you've got to go back and we've got to have revelation to open up Oh, so you have revelation that can open this information up that's not actually found in the Bible? What is this? 
how does this, how does this man, as a 17-year-old, 17 years old, on the battlefield that day in 1 Samuel 16, it's not just that he defeats a seasoned fighter, and it's not even that he could say and boast that God is with him, but it's his conversation. It's the pre-talk. It's the interaction with Saul and the army. It is his interaction with these two older brothers, jealous ones at that. And what he says and what they say, it is a 17-year-old's brilliance of grasp of not just spiritual things, but of life itself in a context now. What you're in right now is what you're interested in. Right now where you are, what you believe about yourself really, what you believe about yourself really that God tells you about who you are. So how does a 17-year-old have such depth of maturity that he is so wise in a precious situation, a battle? He's about to undertake, cost his life, especially with a Shanghai and a guy that can swing two swords in both hands and cut you up without hesitation. Notice he still isn't actually reading a biblical text, nor is he exegeting a biblical text. This has nothing to do with what Scripture says. He's a seasoned fighter called a champion. So David is inquiring about God's things. He says to his brother, Does this guy have the sappy music playing behind him the whole time? When they say to him, Here's all the hints that give to me about this very, very special place I'm about to reveal to you. He has a conversation with his brothers and with soldiers. In his conversation, you'll see that at every point, in every moment, there was, even if it's visibly, Uh, understood or verbally uh, uh, picked up, everything tends in conversation, even in in a good situation, which can turn sour quickly. How a friend who you thought was a friend can change overnight. How people wittingly and unwittingly say things out of your mouth can be like a sword in your heart. Words from TV, a chat at a cafe, Friends and associations you know better that you shouldn't be taking advice from. I'm not talking about cutting them off yet. I'm just talking about whose advice is more important than your years in your life. How easily is it for Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning for you to change from the Sunday Christian we all know? I would really like to know what you really like outside of Sunday. I'm enjoying this already. It's kind of really cool. <laughs> it's cool being a preacher, but it's another thing. It's not. <laughs> so David, at every point and every turn, there's language, verbal, as I'm saying, verbal and non-verbal, that will, it doesn't matter if you're at work or you're in family situations, it works 
subliminally or works out front. But there is this negativity, a pathology that would try and make you a negative person. Try and steal, listen to me, your life. If you if you if you are at a level that is comfortable to the level of the people you're with, there is no such threat to them. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but I'll just keep talking. But the moment that in any way This guy reminds me so much of Stephen Furtick, it's not even funny. You stand out for the better and you're happy about you, I guarantee you, whether it's spoken or unspoken, there is a spirit that works to try and pull you back and equalize you to at least where you think you're from and where you th- or who you think you should be. Whether it's at work, with the family, uh, even at home, the neighbors, even strangers, people in a, where you go to have something to eat in a, in a cafe, the moment there's something about you you don't need to think it and you create an oozing out of your skin. You think it and you create an oozing out of your skin. What on earth are you talking about? That people might not understand or have a conversation with you, but they could say, he thinks he's something. She thinks he's nice. You can tell a, a person that's in depression. You don't need to ask them. You just look right across the room and you can see it. You can tell somebody who's confident They don't have to be telling everybody. You just look at it and it oozes out of their skin and out of their face and out of their body, out of their dress and out of their hair, out of their eyes. You can tell, I can tell poor people, even if they try and dress rich. I can tell rich people, even if they don't try and dress good. Because you can't hide what you are. It'll get out. Inside of you, whatever's real will always try and get out of what you're trying to present on the outside. Like this guy said, and it's not right, it's funny, but inside every crowd he said there's an American screaming to get out. <laughs> Bad illustration. Some are going, what was that all about? Doesn't matter. Uh, but let me tell you this, all right? tell you this, because I'm getting somewhere here with this. There's something screaming to get out inside of you. Very few pl- people have been to this place. Yeah, what exactly is screaming to get out of me again? Um, in oh yeah, you're one of the few people that has, has actually lived this because you're privileged because God speaks directly to you, and yet none of what you're saying is actually lucid. Mostly because they don't know about it. Secondly, something inside you stops you from believing it. You're fortunate you're in a good church, so I'd probably say on the scale about one out of ten, you're about eight. Maybe even nine, because you're constantly bombarded with a preaching that I preach on a side that deals with this, because that's how God's brought me up in my background to how to heal bruised men. When I went to church, there was hardly any men in the church. In my day, there was more women in church, uh, in church than men. And back in my day, it actually wasn't even very trendy for a man to be caught seen. I'm talking about real men. Not some old guy's a grandpa and he's going along because he's, he's just doing the thing and there's one or two other guys that are there, but usually there's something strange about them and they weren't the full, full deal and lunch, you know, and so they were sitting in there or they're really, really down and out and facing, you know, all sorts of stuff in life and they're sitting there. But then there's woman. 
And good on the ladies because they were representing the family and the man who was at home. Not that men were kind of like, didn't believe God. I don't believe that. I just believe that the church wasn't ready for men. Church wasn't an adequate place for men. Oh, I look around here. Yeah, I don't think he's actually going to get around to preaching a biblical text. This is just all top of the mind you know, like theological diarrhea that we're listening to here. There's hundreds of men. But that's not because you just think that that's what happens. Because no. most churches, it's the percentages are imbalanced. There's always, used to be always far more women. But now churches that are robust enough, can they handle men? Can you talk to man stuff? Then can you take a man who's lived on the wild side, who has been bruised, his ego has been bruised, if not by life, by somebody or some people. So for men, not just to come to church, but to totally be recovered and healed, and then to step into something that God has always ordained for them is another challenge. So let me talk for a moment about, and so I can get to, to what you want to know. <laughs> it's always beautiful. It's like a mystery waiting to be unpacked. You don't know what's coming to you. I do. So you understand this. David was raised in a family where you could possibly say he was abused. Right? I don't uh, Abused by whom exactly? Um... Yeah, you just stuck that on David. Nowhere in Scripture does it say David was abused. I don't believe what commentators say that David had a real good upbringing. You tell me that when there's the best occasion, the best day of this family's life, that a prophet, a man of God's coming with oil to anoint one of his sons, and there's eight of them, and a father, and the sons agree with they leave their brother out. They leave him, they so, they so reject him, they leave him out with dirty sheep. Out the backside of some hill around the back in the, in the sand in the desert and actually tell him to stay there. Don't even inform him. So he's not even counted. So you've got to understand, I would say David was going to be and should have been like every other ordinary average man. And you put yourself out of that place now, but I've got to tell you, uh, about 99% of us didn't. We weren't. We just didn't know. We just, nobody told us. So we would have not been like him. He could have easily ended up with a bruised, a bruised ego. That 17-year-old boy on the battlefield that day somehow preserved something deep inside of him. Damage-free. But I'm not just about the damage-free and the healing. That's only the first part of it. I'm interested in the second part. How does a boy like that have such almost brimming confidence that it borders on arrogance? And it was. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know where he's getting any of this. It's just wow. It was actually interpreted by his brother when he said he was inquiring of the reward. There you go. That's how confident this boy is. He's not only saying he's going to take the monster's head off, he's saying, What's the reward for me? When I take that turkey out. And so they explain, you know, tax-free, you get the woman, and you get all the money you like in the gold and the silver. And he says, now we're talking. Yeah. 
But none of, none of us fellows would talk like that. We wouldn't talk like that. We'd be, we'd be, we'd be up on the, on the hillside with others who have got bruised egos. They dressed in all the armor. They had all the sharp swords. They had all the clap and all the shout and the big hoo-ah. But they were all bruised. Out of the whole of Israel's army. So uh, that's the reason why they didn't take on Goliath is because Satan bruised their egos. Really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, this again is uh, an argument as to why mandatory um, unannounced drug screenings should be required of all pastors who claim to be receiving direct revelation from God. Only one man was unbruised in his ego. When you say you're egotistical, you're talking about the bruised ego. Because when you've got a bruised ego and it's not functioning properly, then you've got to find alternatives. You've got to find replacements, substitutions. That's what I'm talking about. And men, we've all been there. We don't want to, but we're hiding because we don't know how to get our ego healed properly so that we're not faking it till we make it. So we're not doing all sorts of stuff to try and impress the crowd, the woman, the man or the lady or the kids or your colleagues. And I've got to say, most Christian men have still got a bruised ego and they're still trying to prove a point. Still trying to get attention. Still using tactics to get somewhere. Business. Look what I'm earning. Look how much I'm making. Look where I work. Look what I drive up in. It's very hard to actually have a correct perspective where that's nothing wrong with what you got. It all depends where and who it's coming from and how it's coming. Yeah, that's not taught in Scripture either. This is bizarre. Boy, there's been some great uh, substitutions and and some things today that are, and they're usually twisted because there's nothing wrong with money, but if money's misused and abused, then it becomes wrong for the person. There's nothing wrong with having a nice big house and living in it. It's how the person is in it. There's nothing wrong with you ha- having, having a great bolstering self-esteem about yourself as long as you do have a true heart of humility and you're doing a lot of things to help people and you're doing God's will. That's exactly what you call a healthy person. But somebody else who's puffing up and has to do it through either through things, through dress, through some type of manufactured uh, confidence or, you know, some body changes and some other things on the outside, you know, in shoes or places or where I'm, who I'm hanging with now. It's all false. You are false. And it's not that you want it to be. Sometimes we just fall into it. Tired of living under. Tired of living where I, I, I can't stand by myself, walk with myself, and be with myself. I need somebody else. Huh. Hide behind culture. We hide behind our ethnicity. We hide behind a gang of others that think like us. You know, I can go on and on about the things that will move in to substitute from your bruised ego. If you need anybody to keep you up and endorsed and smiling every day, you've got a bruised ego. If you can hardly compliment somebody and you're up and down most days of your life 
And even when somebody does compliment you and encourages you, you're down the next day and whatever, and you're always seeking it, you've got to bruise the ego. When you're loud sometimes and you're making all the other signs that seem to be somebody that's in possession of themselves, can be a false exterior to fool all of those around them that everything is a-okay. Yeah, he's describing the symptoms of sin, not a bruised ego. But it ain't. We could all probably have a little bit uneasiness in us right now and think, oh, some of those things you're touching, but then we can suddenly say, no, it's not me. That ain't me now. You, um, it's not me. It's, you know, it could be somebody else, but it's not me. Well, I'm interested in something else. That's... I had to bring that up because it's where, it's where it starts. How many people are going to come from out of this, this world and here with what I've just talked to you about? Our Man Up programs and all our churches now that's running, men are coming and it's the first stage of being in the cave. 400 men in a cave who... You put your men in a cave... <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> uh, with somebody anointed that can begin to break free. and You put them in a cave with somebody anointed. Open up their, their own lives to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the bruised ego. Ah, oh, yeah, that, that, you got to heal those bruised egos, yeah. If this is so important, why doesn't the scripture say this? Um, so... David, this is left out. 1 Samuel 16 is enough to give you evidence of somebody who's, who has over-the-top, extravagant, this God, but the description of him is a, is a bit too much, Really? Come on. Why would, why, why does this come out like this and God's behind it that he would get the boy that had such an abusive or hard or very tight upbringing? Yeah, David didn't have an abusive upbringing. There's no evidence of that in the scripture. There was nothing like you think in the Bible. He was, he was a cute little boy who was anointed from birth. He wasn't. He was basically uh, put down by his brothers. He was left out of things by the family. His father, the ultimate sin of rejecting him, abandoning him, and making him feel like he's nobody. There's nothing good in him, that he doesn't count. He's not good enough. How would you interpret being left out of the family blessing service? Intentionally. You'd be forgiven if you felt, well, I can't even say the words in church that you'd use, probably. And you'd say, well, up this, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to stay with this family. Or I'm going to go and join the mongrel mob. And, uh, I'm going to go and be a crooked businessman. A businessman, not crooked, but you start, you start out wanting it, but then you end up, because it doesn't matter what you do, your, your bruised ego bruises everything in life. <clears throat> he, how is it, and I'm six, I'll just describe to you, that finally it has to be a breakthrough by a man of God. A prophet, a man of God comes into the house and a family 
That's what happens. See, I probably broke into your family situation. May not have liked it initially. Would not like the things that he says, but Samuel comes with God's mind and will on, on intention and heart to give, not your feelings or what you want to hear. Got one little faint amen about that one. <laughs> amen. Okay, and there's nothing else. Well, you're listening. I know you agree. So, so Samuel comes in and he says, It ain't any of these boys who got that fine looking men, but it ain't, that's not it. Is there somebody else you've got in this family? The father says, well, yes, there's a guy, little boy named David, who I'm actually, I'll put in brackets, this is my own words, who I've I've bruised his ego and bruised his life, and he's going to be no good anyway, even if you do choose him. him, He's not going to have the confidence to stand. He ain't going to have the ability to be able to be a vehicle for God's power because he's so broken down, so don't worry about it. That's the enemy, you see. An enemy can work for a father and a mother. Yeah, it's weird. You're sticking all kinds of stuff into the biblical texts that are not there. Where are you getting this stuff from? Because it's not in the written word of God. Not a devil with a pointy ears and a pitchfork can be a father and a mother. (laughs) They don't mean it. So, where is he? Bring him to me. So David arrives, he almost arrives, he's whistling. <laughs> and he's singing and chanting Muhammad Ali's song, I am the greatest, <laughs> virtually. He's in there and he's, he's good looking, his hair's back, tied in a ponytail, he's ruddy, he's red, he's got two Shanghai's hanging down here, two guns. He's got a nice little lion thing he's killed recently. He's got a bear shirt, whatever, a jacket. He's a cool-looking little dude. He's totally absent-minded about how the world has actually bummed him out. I'm not talking about one person, but the world. I've never heard the story of David told this way. Um, Maybe it's because he's not actually reading it from a biblical text. He's not even trying to exegete at this point. He's just telling his own version of it. It's like, choose your own adventure, David's story, you know? Weird. Meantime, he's put in a bad situation by some dumb brothers and sisters and dumb parents. And he's out there killing lions and killing bears. So I'm talking about your spirituality. I'm talking about the guy's physical feats. He's doing something that nobody's talking about. He's not just a one-off sort of a rare little one in a million sort of breed that pops out and says, you know, I'm unusual and, and there won't ever be another me like me. And that's not true. That ain't true because there's a whole lot of men that he brought up under his influence and shared the truth and the, and the secret that I'm going to share with you at the very end to make you hang out. Oh, you, we got secret knowledge coming at the end. I told you this sounds something similar or akin to Gnosticism. At this point, we're getting, again, theological diarrhea here. I mean, I don't know where any of this is coming from. None of it's actually rightly taught from any text. Shared with them. That's how they went from where they were as 400 men who were struggling to pay the bills, trying to keep the wife happy, the kids do all this sort of stuff, and struggling with their own mental uh, distresses and their problems of life and the pressure and all of the discontent that they faced. He turned their lives around into huge monsters 
for good. Gladiators of great reform and soldiers for the kingdom. Men who were brilliant fathers and family men who raised huge tribes. They defeated the enemy. They were experts in whatever they did. And with supernatural unction on top of them that they did these mighty feats. Something's going on here that nobody's telling us about. Well, so how do you get a guy that walks in? 17-year-old. No worries in the world whatsoever. Wondering what's going on in the house. And, and he walks in. And his presence is so commanding that they all stand up and the prophet stands up. And he has no trouble with his bad discernment now about the first brother being the one. He says, this is the boy. This is him. You can't tell me that what I tell you in a moment is not going to enhance all of your opportunities and bring you to all the places you're trying to do with other things that you shouldn't be doing. You're going to walk in some places and they say, this is the one. Not even going to interview him. You got it. This is the one because that God thing is far more powerful than anything that you're trying to chase or manufacture. You need to hear this. So when Samuel says this is the one, what he really means to say is you're the one. Right. Yeah, this is now about me. Then any mention of Jesus? I don't think so. Jesus doesn't factor into this theology. Some people need to hear this. And then it describes the boy. What what is this about the Bible doing something that you're taught basically in religious circles not to worry about? It describes about how he looks. I just want to smash some religious mindsets in people. It describes how it does matter how you look. Now, people quote it, used to be quote you that uh, God's not interested in how you look, and He ain't. He's more interested in the heart. But man is. He says, I'm not like man who looks on the outward appearance. I, the Lord, look at the heart. Well, that's right. But, if, but uh, you, who are you facing at work is. Yeah, and what's in your heart uh, actually is what defiles you. Jesus made that clear as well. We continue. Not God. Who you're facing in your promotion is not God. Who you're trying to impress, to, to, to attract, and to woo, to making decisions for Christ is not God. Who you have to do everyday business with is not God. Who you have to actually get to work with you and work for you maybe at times and to be with you and to your family is not God. It's all people. So people are going to make an assessment about how you carry yourself, how you wear yourself, how you talk with yourself, the attitude you protrude, and everything about you on the outside matters whether I want to be with you or not. So it describes his looks. And it says that David was good looking. Why, why, what's this about God emphasizing his looks? Because... David did something about his exterior. What did he do? It was commensurate with how good he was talking. You can talk good, but you don't look good. And if you look good, but don't talk good, that's just as bad. Some people dress themselves, but they can't talk good because it's a heart issue. Some people uh, who talk good, but don't dress well. You see, I want to tell you this. 
Where does he get that from? So it's in the Bible. So God emphasizes the whole chapter 16. Does it to Joseph as well. Because these boys had the same thing I'm about to share with you. <laughs> Hurry up, you say. No. It's better for you. Got to tease you. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's doing. Teasing us with some revelation. He's, you know, the, the R-bomb that he's still waiting to drop on everybody. So how does it explain that? And then it goes on to his gifts. He's skillful. Whatever he puts his hand to works. The guy, this guy, has a brilliant way about the things of life. One verse is describing it. It says he can do anything, play anything. Then it ends up by saying that this is the one, anoint him. So there's a whole, God makes sure that those brothers and the family stay in the room. It's not a private thing that the prophet says, look, to save you a bit of trouble, I want to talk to you privately, just like they do in politics. We're going to do this privately and just let you know, so you know, listen, you're in, mate. You're the one. Oh, you're awesome. That's what we do personally, huh? But don't do it in front of people because you don't want that person to get too good and maybe get better than you. So it's best to keep your praises just for them personally, but not in front of the other friends. Oh, I'm saying something. I have no idea what you're talking about because the story of the anointing of David as king of Israel has absolutely nothing to do with any of the things you're talking about. Literally, none of them. Don't praise him too much in front of people and what you said to him privately in the house or her privately in the house. Just keep it to yourself so you know. But to let everybody else know your thoughts about them positively sometimes can be a challenge. It's not because you don't want to, maybe. It's because you feel so small about you that you don't want to make somebody else too big. So it's not the prophet bringing David into a private little place and saying, listen, you're really anointed and all this sort of stuff and, and keep it there privately. And so or to shelter somebody from the others, he does it right in front of the, the, the family. So all the brothers are there and he says in front of them all, this is the one. And makes them stand there and watch as the plug comes off the horn of oil and it's flowing all down his little red face. And he's smiling away like, I'm it. <laughs> Woohoo, look here. Yeah, look. Flowing all over him. And you, you can imagine that sticky oil all over him. And now he's just grown another 10 feet tall. And his shoulders have just been pinned back. And he just realizes right now he's gone from uh, prisoner to the palace. He's gone from a nobody to somebody. In the eyes of his brothers who are seething by now, he's just sort of like, okay, <laughs> the man of God anointed me and he touched me and he spoke to me in front of you and you, Dad. Because sometimes the healing of the bruised ego has to go right back to where it started. Uh, yeah, uh, again, lots of details not even closely found in the text. Uh, you can't even find them in the history or the culture. What you're talking about is nonsense. You're not preaching God's word. You are preaching utter claptrap. This is not, This is 
bogus bupkis just bamboozlement. And a simple, hey, Dad, hey, brothers and sisters, hey, friend. Hmm. You know, interesting. Has all of this, and I'm, I'm saying, what is this? I've always been so conscious of it, but it hasn't been revealed to me. What is this? How does this happen? How does a seven-year-old boy, how does he get called somebody who's just overplaying it, arrogant? I want to talk to you about something. I want you to go to the book of Psalms, 118. Psalms is the revealing of David's deep heart issues. Verse 17. He delivered me from a strong enemy, from those who hated me. Remember I talked to you earlier? So David had all that stuff going on in his world. People. They were too strong for me. Sometimes, probably a lot of times, you just feel overwhelmed by it. How many of you feel like you just can't take it anymore? I mean, every day it seems like something comes and it just eats away at your confidence, your self-belief. Takes away from what formerly you had probably an adequate abundance that you felt you had a joy about your life, you were happy about your, your family, your marriage, you were happy about your church, you were happy about the call of God. Those, those days that, that were really good days. But what about now? Or maybe just in work life, just in everyday life. He was facing things that was overwhelming him. They confronted me the day, sorry, am I in the right place? No, I'm not, 180, did I say 180? Sorry, verse 5. I called to the Lord in, is that, that's the scripture, yeah, that's the one. Ah, no, no, that's not the one, it's 180 in verse, oh yes, that's the one, verse 5. Actually, there's two the same. Uh, Psalm 18, I'll get there in a moment. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me. He set me in a broad place. I've been talking about the broad place. It's the broad place. In my distress, in my pressure, in the mountain attacks of life, just trouble, he set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. Yeah, by the way, the idiom of set me in a broad place in Hebrew basically means to be set free. The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who haven't been good to me or hate me. Now, that other one was in, it was the same. 
He delivered me from the strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. So God supports, God encourages, but again it says he he also brought me out into a broad place. He brought him out means he brought David out in himself. So it was something in his spirit. Uh, Yeah, this is getting weirder by the minute. Hard to say where this is going because there's nothing rational about what he's saying. It's not a physical thing. He brought him out into a broad place. Say broad place. He delivered me because I'm his favorite. The broad place. The Holy Spirit caught my attention to this. And David was revealing something that hardly any Christians know about. The broad place. Oh, yeah. Okay, so where is this broad place? You know, I mean, because you did claim that God gave you this via direct revelation. Tell us more about this broad place. The broad place. What is the broad place? The word broad here in the Hebrew actually means large. Let me come down here for a moment. Big place. A large place. A big place. It's, it's expansive. But the real Hebrew underlying root word actually means it's a place of freedom to get acquainted that that's right the idiom in hebrew for a broad place means to be set free with god and you that's what it means i thought boy this is this is interesting so this is beautiful but then i thought there's more to this because the broad place is not the secret place and I'm going, wow, oh, no way. Oh, the broad place is not the secret place. Oh, consider my mind. Yeah, just blown there, dude. The broad place is not the prayer place. So let's, let's get you to understand this. The broad place he's talking about is something that God set up. Because he, he brought me into it. So when he was facing people's criticisms, he was overwhelmed, he was having self-doubts, he was tired and wearied about serving God or whatever, or, or thinking that God wasn't helping him sufficiently, he was, he was just thinking, getting like that, you know what I'm talking about? And it wasn't actually prayer that God brought him into, that's something that you can do, Bo, that's something prayer does, I'm not talking about, it wasn't the secret place where he finds worship and praise and touching God, it was the broad place that David needed when he was facing tough times, when he himself was having self-doubts, he was confused about what was going on in the world and his life, he, was, he had people who obviously were haters, that everything was actually starting to turn to custard for him. It wasn't the prayer place. It wasn't the secret place. It wasn't the usuals of life. It wasn't even going to the book to read a word. It was actually the broad place. Right, yeah, the, the broad, that's an important place. Yeah, the broad place. Again, broad place, Hebrew idiom there is it's to be set free. So what does God do? Immediately he's, he's talking about, I can't, I, I'm, I'm getting there. God takes him to a happy place called the broad place. God takes him to a special place called the broad place. You see it? Yeah, no, it's, you're not, it's not there. It means he set me free. 
That's what it means. Is there? That's why I read it to you. He he sets him into the broad place. He takes him to a a space that's free of all the pressures that you face in the other place. This place is free of pressure. It's free of strife. It's free. It's not a place. That man, this is ridiculous. Psalm 118, let me read, I'm going to skip the refrain. The refrain in Psalm 118 is, For his steadfast love endures forever. I'll read read it by half verse, skipping the refrain so you can kind of see the development of thought. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let Israel say, let the house of Aaron say, let those who fear the Lord say, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Yeah, it does not. This is not revealing something about a place. You know, the, you know, the large place, the, you know, this place the broad place is, in he, is a Hebrew idiom to be set free. From the influence of demons, they can't get in there. It is, here's the big one, it is free from the faulty part of your own mind. Because the broad place is not in your head, it comes out of your spirit. Uh-huh. So now we got this mythical teaching on the doctrine of the broad place. It's a part of your spirit that... Wow, that God set up. Oh, and you can go there. You can go to your broad place. It's kind of like Happy Gilmore's happy place, you know? You want me to tell you some more? What is this broad place? You might be saying, what is, tell me some more about this broad place. I will. The broad place is incredible because the moment that God realized that his man or his woman began to get a little bit kind of jaded or what's happening or hey I'm, I'm getting a bit of this stuff now my friends are talking about me people are saying things about me <clears throat> and it's horrible and hateful and some of it's false and lies he calls them haters he had them you've probably got them but he was talking about other things like the distresses of life the strife of life and this whole anxiety of mind didn't know whether to go here or go there. Didn't know whether to make a decision to, to do this job or that job. What, what decision should I make about my future? Should I stay in this job or get another one? Do I want to die here or do I want to go there? Do I want to be in this place or that place? Do I want to be in this church or that church? Do I want to be in this country or another country? That's the thing I'm talking about. It's the same thing. You're in a place where you're knowing that prayer is not providing what you need. Because you can easily pray a prayer that you want. And it doesn't necessarily make it right because you can manipulate prayer easy. I thank you, Lord, that you're leading me to that place. And he might not be leading you to that, but you're praying that and believing that God's giving you that. It might be okay. Uh, you know, I'm just saying. It does happen. You can easily pray. Hitler prayed. So don't think yourself above it. Um, listen to this. The broad place. Is a place where God affirms. Yeah, actually, uh, Psalm, the Psalms don't say that. Where are you getting this nonsense, sir? 
the very good and the very great parts of your life and who you are. Everything about you that's good and great is a place where God affirms. It's not a place of you being prostrate to pray for your sin. That's not the broad place. The broad place is a place where you are worshipping God. That ain't the broad place. There are places for that. But the broad place is what I'm talking about today. You didn't know about the broad place because I didn't know that. But I've discovered it. I've been in it. And it's been the back... Yeah, how'd you discover you've been in the broad place exactly? I, I'd like to know how that works. Bone of my whole Christian life. Been a backbone of my ministry. It's been a backbone of my family. It's been a backbone of all the God things I've done when it was tight, when it was horrible, when everybody was opposed against you seemingly, maybe sometimes, when you were like you're all alone by yourself. If you can't stand by yourself, then you need the broad place. That expansive place, it's called the big place. Don't you like it? It's the big place. I'm going to my big place. Large. The broad place is an immense space, free of pressure. Is this guy mentally stable? I I mean that literally. I'm asking the question because he does not come across as mentally stable to me. Free of demons. Free of your own faulty concepts. You might be saying, how do I do that? That's just it. When you go out of your spirit and you go to the broad place, you know when you're entering it, those, those things are there. You get there, and I'm telling you right now, 100% of 100% of every time you go there, of 100% every time that God is there, he will always speak the same thing that he has done for years and years and years. Hello, Abraham. Abraham says, hi, you're in the broad place. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You are great. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't seem to recall that dialogue with uh, God and Abraham or God, you know, that passage in um, Genesis um, 16 and two-thirds. You know, it's a different chapter than chapter 16 um, where God says, oh, meet me in the broad place and oh, you are great. Yes, and, and all of us are instructed as Christians to find that broad place where God can tell us how great we are. Yeah, um, this is what I would call doctrines of demons, narcissistic too. This is not what Scripture is about. Scripture is about Jesus. See, there's no man that's telling him he's great. It's when he is fading in his self-appraisals that the broad place puts it back into perspective and you can guarantee every time that God, so there's no doubt about it in this room, God will always speak and tell you all the good and great parts or things about your life. Everything about you is great. He affirms the bruised ego and heals it and makes it whole. He takes the woman that comes into that place. Yeah, again, uh, yeah, the Psalms don't teach us where you get in this nonsense. Who is still suffering from suppression being bound and the things that have kept her down and and emotionally sapped her strength and taken away from her. The moment she gets in the broad place, she is a queen. And God affirms her and says, you're something special. And I have something for your life that is great. There is no gender prejudice with God. 
There's no male or female in his eyes. All are one, all are sons. All are acceptable. He doesn't see a woman or a man come into the broad place. It is just the beautiful spirit that he created, masterfully special. You are special. He tells Israel all in the broad place. He sets them in the broad place and he says, you are a special people. My own chosen special people above all the other peoples of the earth. That's, that's broad place speaking. He gets a man called Gideon who has self-doubts about his upbringing and self-doubts about his bruised ego. He is in a very, very bad place. And so God sets him in the broad place and he says, Hey, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, get up in the strength of yours and go forth. Yeah, where does it say in the book of Judges that God met uh, Gideon in the broad place? I've called you. I- so notice what he did there. He, he spun this theology out, and now he's finding biblical texts to rip out of context to shoehorn them into his theology. He hasn't exegeted a single passage. I made you. You're alive and you're here. So therefore, you are great. You are special. You are standalone. Nobody comes near you. You're my favorite son. Now, tell me, who wouldn't mind a place like that? I just tell you, don't look at me like this is just those messages. This ain't another message. Because there's a certain someone that's always there all the time. Going to tell, that someone is just no, like anybody. That's God. That's God. And he sets David in the broad place, the big place, and he gives these big affirmations to boost and bolster up to where he should be. He must have said to David out there in the, in the wilderness, and he said it before him, and it says in Psalms that he did, and he tells David, David, you are great. And David begins to believe God's press. He ain't believing what his daddy's doing to him, because the broad place changes the negativity that your father or your mother or other people who should have known him better had tried to plant in your mind and in your heart. It cancels the negativity because the devil wants to give you a negative pathology. But God wants to give you a positive pathology. Hallelujah. He's told, he says to him, you are good looking. You are anointed. And he tells him, you're going to be a king. And he tells him, you are skillful. You are something else, Davy. Davy, yeah. King Davy. Davy. Um, wow, boy, is this self-absorbed, uh, narcissistic, and uh, unbelievable. And this is not what Psalm 118 teaches at all. And David's in there just soaking it all up. Because in the broad place, that's all you can do. It's just suck. Where does it say David soaked up all of this praise from God? In the broad place. Where, where does it say that in scripture again? Get up, baby. Man, I am good. I am special. I am something. Yeah, that reminds me of what the devil says about himself. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Oh, you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. You who laid low the nations, 
You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, the far reaches of the pit. Yeah, we got a big problem here. This, of course, he does teach that you're God. So, I mean, of course, God, you know, would just say you are spectacular and you are super special because, after all, what God is, you are. Ouch. I'm too sexy for my shirt. It's like, man, I'm just too good. I am, I am, I am. Ooh, you remember in the schoolyard how he used to always put everybody down? You think you're good, eh? Everybody says, no. You think you're neat, eh? Don't you, bro? You think you're neat, eh? They're ripping off their ego already. You just think you're God's gift to woman, eh? Don't think you're too big, bro. You think you're too big for your boots, bro? You know what? And then it's all the swear words, which are derogatory, which helps to bruise your ego. Yeah. Calling them a so-and-so, calling them a dog. That's what they do in African America. Hey, dog! Thinking it's awesome, like it's cool. It's a derogatory term. That's bruising. They're already bruised ego. I don't know, you can get a whole lot of things. Those are pretty old old stuff. I don't know what they do today. It's, they do a lot of stuff to take it away and suck it out of you. And, mm, wow. I want to introduce, I introduce my kids to the broad place. I introduce a whole generation of new Christians who are getting told by religion that you've got to get in there and you're never going to really get good enough for God. And, you, you know... Make yourself worthy by doing this and doing that and keep praying and keep confessing. And so we prayed and confessed until we had no more, you know, to say about what was wrong with us. And the church of religion, they teach you that you are going to be a part of everybody else and don't grow too tall and get too big and don't do too much for God. So everybody is equalized. And... And yet Jesus says the one who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. It creates these dwarfs inside. Too brittle to face the world. Not up to the size and the strength and the level to face the challenges of growing your life and growing your relationships growing your children, facing the difficulties of work. It's easier to go and smoke some drug or take some ecstasy. It's easier to go to a bottle or to find a new girl or a new woman or a new man. It's easier to run away to another country. I'm not saying go to another country. I'm going to another country myself. But I know where I belong. If the sun doesn't shine for another two months, I'm not going to shift to, to California. If you fellas all leave me, I'll just go and start another work somewhere else. You've got to know how to walk through some people. Say what you want. But I can stand for myself, by myself, and with myself. 
You know, Paul might say this about me tomorrow and Jerome might leave tomorrow. I'm sad. But everybody wants me to explain why. Why do I have to? I don't know. You have to go and ask him. I don't look as good as Jerome, so you've got to ask the man himself. He's good looking and big enough to answer to you. That's what I mean. He goes, what did Jerome do? What did you do? I said, I don't know. What I, I don't know. Why well, aren't you sad? Because I'm sad. But I'm not going to have a, a dump party of depression for a whole week and go through self-flagellation and say, oh, must be my preaching. Oh, my, I must be over. Maybe something's wrong with the church. Something's wrong with God. Something's wrong with, I don't know. No. I have learned in all situations, because Paul had the same thing. God comes to Paul and he gives him the broad place and he says, Paul, you're an amazing man. I am with you. Uh, where is the part where Paul, God says to Paul, you're an amazing man? I don't recall that. I don't recall the broad place ever being mentioning in conjunction with the Apostle Paul. In a dream, I'm with you. And whatever you do, so he says, keep going. And their insults, keep standing. And their criticisms, keep smiling. When they stone you and kill you, I'll raise you again. That's a pretty good broad place. Though. That's a great place. Who would want a place like We wouldn't want a place like that. Create your own broad, happy, large, big place. Create your own large, big, happy place. Yeah, okay, yeah. Small people can't get in there. Man, I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you, this is uh, not the Lord, but me. Telling you right now, you can live your life, all your life, depending on what all the opinions of people around you are saying, and it's never going to make you any stronger and any happier. If anything, it's going to decrease your strength, decrease your happiness. Listen to this. you just got to build your world of happiness and satisfaction. If you're depending on me, why well, you haven't got a Broad place yet, and I want to introduce Yeah, you don't have a broad place yet. It's up to you to build your own place of happiness and satisfaction. Yeah, the Bible says that nowhere. Because God and you are going to get really acquainted closer than you think. Because he'll tell you who you really are, and the emphasis on the word really. Not what Christians say, he's your identity. And they tell him you're a son of God, and you're a Christian, and you're this and that. It's inadequate. You... You want God in the broad place. So, so then he tells you who he is. God. <clears throat> man, it's telling all these people. Elijah says, man, I'm depressed. That's a dark place. Depression is a dark place. You need to find your broad place, the happy place that I've introduced you to. And it's right there at the door of your heart. Right now. Right now. How is that, Bishop, that I haven't heard it before? And why is it going to come now? Because Revelation's brought it to us all. Means that it, it's now, as my granddaughter said to her grandmother on the car, what does open, what does open highway mean? To granddad, it means put your foot down, flat to the floor. <laughs> Pedal to the metal, baby. That's what it means here. Open season, friends. 
You either step in and get it for you and, and find it, which you will, and then develop. And just watch you. Just watch you. Yeah, just watch you. Yeah. You don't need Jesus for this, that's for sure. There's no room for Jesus and an ego as large as this. Yeah, there's only one God in this kind of system, and that God is you. Well, pants falling down. <laughs> oh, dear God. I just want to tell you right now, there's a lot of people would like to know those secrets that David had. I'm kind of like pretty, pretty, I'm saying like, wow, what is this? Thing that he walks into this place and he has all of that said about him. And I'm thinking, a 17-year-old on the field of battle is accused of what people accuse you of, arrogance. His big brother says, you are an arrogant little fella. You've been like that all the way through from the day that you were so big and smart when the oil went on your head and not mine. <laughs> and you had all that stuff said, you just think that you're big. That's what he's saying. You think that you're somebody. David's response was, is there not a cause? That's the whole fundamental purpose of this. Is there not a cause? David, rest is history. What's running at the giant is not just a boy you think that is blessed of God. It's a man who's built a healthy, huge ego. So David is a man who's built a healthy, huge ego. Wow, this is the exact opposite of what Jesus teaches. Amazing, breathtaking, awful. This is a cult. You can't tell me. They called it. Hey, it's... He, he gets out there and he says, I'm going to hit him. He's going to drop to the ground. And I'm going to, because these fellows have been introduced to this thing of faith, which is correct, because it was all faith. But you can't take a coward and say all those things and it's going to work. You can't take somebody out there who's a depressed, discouraged man. God cannot bless a discouraged or depressed person. Elijah got depressed. God can't bless a discouraged or depressed person. I didn't know that. Apparently, God, there's some things God can't do. I mean, I know God can't lie. You know, it's contrary to his nature, but bless a, a depressed person? Mm, didn't know that. He was in a dark place, and God had to bring him into his broad place. So he started to speak to the prophet. Now, you all think that he just used food to get him energetic. God didn't. He spoke to him. And he said, remember how I called you. And I said to you. Yeah, nowhere in uh, the accounts of uh, Elijah do we hear God saying, oh, Elijah, I'm bringing you into a broad place. And oh, I called you. And oh, you are amazing. And oh, yeah, this guy's just flat out adding to scripture. Great. You're something else. You got something in you that other people haven't got, Elijah. Man of fire, man of God, great one. Come out of your dark place. Rise up, he says, and get on down and carry on serving me. 
Keep going. I'm with you. The Bible says Elijah got up and he started to get his ego back and his faith began to join his newfound confidence and his self-belief. What are you talking about? He cooked some bacon and eggs and some crumpets and he had some honey and he had some apricot jam and a couple of slithers of kinder on the side and, and he, had a, <laughs> he had some nice thick butter for that loaf of bread over there that I've been eyeing up all morning. And I've been thinking of the slabs of not the butter that's got all its additives to it, but the real stuff. <laughs> and then mopped through some mince or some fresh lamb straight out of the oven, sliced, slapped onto that bread with some little bit of mint sauce and some salt and some pepper. And then somebody takes it away from you called your wife and says, that's mine. Man, I love the broad place. That's the place that God affirms my confidence. He affirms me. He affirms you. No, 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 it's not about you saying thank you, Lord, for this. And I'm really humbled and gracefully thankful. And I, no, 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 it's standing there soaking it in, baby. Soak it up. Soak it up. I can hear somebody saying, is this really scriptural? Damn, I've been preaching for an hour. You let me preach for an hour. <laughs> uh, no, actually, it's not scriptural. What he's teaching is absolute narcissistic nonsense. I said, man, you're asking those questions. He says to this guy, he says to him, you mighty man, you warrior. Says to it. Says to it. That's what he says to him. He says, man, he says, I've called you. You mighty man of valor. Forget about where you come from and what people are saying and what you think they're saying about you. You are you and you're good all by yourself. You got it. You just, everything I say to you is true. You got the stuff. But I don't know if I have. Yes, you have. This is, a, this is how God speaks in the broad place. Hello, Nick. Nick says, hi. Go on. God. God. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just play God for a moment. He said, Nick, you are amazing because you've got such talent and such gifts. And it doesn't matter what people say. Remember, you said it. That's why you came out of the broad place. You went into the broad place distressed and horrible and haters and all this stuff. And you read it. He comes out and he says, I don't fear no man, David says. Who can be against me? Oh, God is for me, he says, and he is delighted in me. Oh, therefore, all of those who are against me understand this. He will make my desires come to pass on you. Oh, that's a different story about coming in and saying, Oh, man, I'm going to give up. I want to shimmer. I want to go away. I don't take this anymore. You know? And um, that, that's, that's the man. And I, I just can't. And, I, and he goes into the broad place and he comes out and says, Get out of my way. Whatever you try to do to me won't work. God is for me. He delights in me. I'm his favorite son. That's what he was saying. He come out gassed up, pumped up. Don't you dare say that's unscriptural. Don't you dare say that's not gospel. Yeah, actually, the gospel, according to scripture, you find it uh, laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 15, is that Christ died for our sins and was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scripture. That's the gospel. This is a false gospel. This is just utter narcissistic gobbledygook. Demonic at that. So he says to you, 
You are the one. Now you go away and you might have self-doubts and that. Uh, if you've been in a prayer place because you've been praying and praying and hey, I, I'm... now remember the prayer place is different than the open place, and uh, and the open place is different than the dark place. There's lots of places you got you got to know which place you're in. I'm not doing prayer, good thing. Prayer is the greatest. I pray all the time, but when I'm saying praying, praying can sometimes just be a way of just removing your psychological hang-ups into what we call prayer, and it sometimes just doesn't get answered. Because God's saying, you need to go to the broad place, the large place. Yeah, why would God tell me to go to the broad place when the scriptures don't talk about the broad place? You've totally twisted and mangled God's word. A place in my spirit where nobody else can touch it. Who else can get in your spirit? Nobody. It's there that God sets the place of freedom, free of pressure. Man, I'm talking too long, I know, but when you're in the broad place, it's an expansive place. It's, isn't it beautiful? It's a big place, just you and God. Nobody else. Not your husband or your wife, just you. Not your friends, not your pastor, not your mates. Just you, you and God. And God's not interested in correcting you, saying anything else to you. He doesn't want any worship from you. He doesn't want any tongues from you. He doesn't want any prayer from you. He doesn't want your head bent down. He wants you to stand there in the, in the broad place, the big place, and just let him reaffirm you how good you are, how special you are. Oh, boy. Wow. This can't get much worse, can it? And let him say it without you trying to back it up or put in brackets some religious statements. Please. Keep your mouth shut and just take it. And then when you come out, hey, don't worry about trying to tell everybody that you're big and you don't need to. It's all over you. Insecurity is the is the big thing that loses its life. Insecurity loses its life in the broad place. Insecurity, isn't it great? I just want to say to you right now, today is a good day to find, this is, his name is, is um, you know your name, don't you? It was Broadhurst, it's now Broad Place. <laughs> Sir, shake your hand. It's exactly telling you that. Exactly telling you that. doesn't matter what's bruised you in the past, what things people may have said about you today. God is saying to you, you've got a big capacity to love people, to help people. It's all in there. It's going to flow and it's going to come and it's going to give you a great sense of satisfaction. Sir, same with you. Sitting here today, hearing something about how God wants to create in your life this place of knowing what he says about you. Man, do you know people... Heaps of people go into drugs, they go into alcohol, they get into social groups just to try and find some sense of belonging, being needed. You have to all, first of all, learn to stand on your own two feet. So you almost need to have some good practice and let people insult you and criticize you. You have a good lashing of nastiness. (laughs) And stand there when they finish, say, 
Woohoo, that's beautiful. Now, watch me walk away and it doesn't even affect me. That, no, 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 it's, it's difficult, more hard than you think. That's why I had a whole heap of it in the media. So I could preach this okay. <laughs> it's hard, it took me a year to get over myself from the victim and the lies and the exaggerations, which are also lies. And the congestion and the speculation, which are also lies, of my family to deal with that. You have to soon grow up. You just have to walk through some circumstances. You have to walk through some people. You have to walk. If you don't want to join me in this great dream, that's cool. I'd like you to, but I'm going to keep walking with my... I'm going to keep doing it. That's what people say to me. Well, you... Five years ago, a whole group of people said, we're going to do this and this, but we know that you're just going to carry on, aren't you? You're going to forget us, aren't you? Well, why should I keep remembering you if you're gone? (laughs) My destiny is not with those who leave. It's with those who are here. Tell you, it's a broad place. It's a great place. Father, I pray... Yeah, done. We don't get to hear you praying because you're not praying to the real Heavenly Father. I don't know who you're praying to. Maybe yourself, based on what I just heard. Yeah, folks, um, that's what a cult leader sounds like. Just rambling and theologizing out of the, his, the insanity of his mind. Yeah, that is like a demonic insanity that we just listened to, and I mean that. That, that's not hyperbole. That's for real. You, Christ doesn't exist in the theology like that. You become Jesus. You become the Christ. You become God. It's all about you. No repentance, no forgiveness of sins, no sorrow over sins. Just the affirmation in the broad place that you are amazing. Yeah, these are the affirmations not of God, but of the devil. Hmm. Pray for those people. They are in the clutches of a wolf. They are being fed poison and think that they are being fed nice food from God's table. When in fact they're being literally poisoned to death with the toxins of the devil in his way of thinking. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.